Hello, my name is Abdul Majid, and you're listening to the Pit Lane Chatter Podcast. It's the Bahrain Grand Prix, and it's lights out, and away we go! So, welcome everyone to our fourth episode of the Pit Lane Chatter Podcast. This is after two races, so we have finished the United States Grand Prix and the Mexican Grand Prix, which for us in India, terrible time zones. It was horrible. And basically, the last race, Hamilton and Leclerc got out, so we thought, better just to miss an episode. It was like, what are the chances that the two drivers that get disqualified are both of our favorite drivers? Okay, so uh, let's start with discussing the United States Grand Prix. It was actually a solid race. Yeah, it was pretty good because there were a lot of plays in the strategy, especially. And strategy was one of the most interesting. Obviously, we know some people had better strategies than others. <clears throat> Charles. Um, some people tried crazy one-stops, which didn't end up working out. Some people had two stops. And some people maybe could have had a win if their strategy was a bit better. Yeah, I'll have to agree with that. But I think the first thing is like the biggest thing of the entire race weekend, like the biggest shocker, is the disqualifications. And I think we should start with that. So, Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton were disqualified for their plank being worn out too much. Now, I know that the details of the amount have been released and the amount was extremely tiny. But at the same time, people need to remember that the disqualification amount is if it's worn by one millimeter. And, well, one millimeter is not a lot. Well, the rule is that it has to be plus or minus 10 millimeters, I believe. But just the entire concept of how it's tested and what happened after the testing is just so bizarre by the FIA. And it's just so unfair to Lewis and Charles. That it extremely is. Like, they have said that they test only four cars a weekend. And I don't see how that is fair. And if the two out of four cars are getting disqualified, it's only fair if the other cars are being tested as well. So Lando and uh, Max tested out clean, but there is no way that cars, like, I'm not saying it with certainty, but I'm sure that cars such as Perez, cars such as Sainz, cars such as uh, Oscar Piastri, and all solid cars would have also had problems in their cars. So, and just because of Hamilton and Charles Leclerc's disqualification, just because they were two out of the four cars that were checked. So if there are disqualifications of two out of four cars, the FI should have just some like courtesy to the disqualified cars to check some other cars because it, it was a bumpy surface. It was uh, like a very... Uh, it, the planks were bound to get worn out. And especially what FI say, they said that the reason why they don't check all cars is because they don't have enough time. I find that to be utter bullshit, honestly. They could have, they, they can easily check all 20 cars simultaneously if they wanted to, but no, they probably just send five people down there to check it while they have, uh, while they can easily get a set of like at least 20, 25 people and they can have all the cars checked within five hours, give or take. I know for a fact they can easily check all 20 cars, but then their excuse of there just not being enough time before the cars have to be shipped off. I just find that as utter bullshit. Exactly. And I will say this. I know you're probably going to disagree with me. But the rule is a little bit too harsh. 
like I get I guess the rule was introduced during the Elton Senna period and the entire thing that happened with him. And I understand why it's there. Like why the plans have to be there and they can't be great. But the fact that you're disqualifying two cars just for the fact of one millimeter, that's outrageous, man. Well, you're right. I am gonna disagree with you because I believe that the harshness of the rule isn't an issue, but it's more of how equal the rule is. As it's definitely not equal. If we have only a couple of drivers that have to go under the checking, then that's definitely not fair. Like, there could have been maybe a Williams who had 10 centimeters, I mean, not, not 10 centimeters, but like a whole centimeter or 1.5 centimeters taken off their plank. But then no one would check it because, well, if I wouldn't care enough about the Williams that's back there. So they should definitely check all cars or check none of the cars. I definitely think the rule is useful. I can see why the rule would be used, but it's just... If you're doing it, do it fairly, is all I'm going to say. Yeah, but you also have to consider the fact that the rules have changed a lot since Ayrton Senna. And and now that there's sprint weekends, there's going to be some cars, especially in a, in a circuit such as USA, in a sprint weekend, there are going to be cars that are going to have a lot of degradation on the plants. So maybe just create a new rule for sprint weekends, where specifically, because... Uh, constructors can't be expected to check every single small thing about their cars to get perfect. And yeah, obviously they can be expected to do so, but it's going to be hard. And the fans aren't going to be happy when their favorite driver has uh, is disqualified and takes them out of the race for second in the driver's championship because his plank was worn out. Now, definitely, <clears throat> definitely, I think the team's if they check it or not, but then there's nothing they can do about it because all the cars go under park for me. And I definitely agree with you with the fact that there shouldn't be a new rule added, but there should be a modification to the existing rule if they're having sprint races because sprint races, the cars are pushed around more. And example, after the sprint, a team realized that their plank might be a bit too worn out. They can't even change their car setup because the cars are locked in the park for me. So there's nothing they can do about that. They should definitely have a look at at least modifying the rule when it comes to sprint weekends. I completely agree with you on that point. Exactly. And that's just going to change the entire... Because I'll be completely honest, I never knew about a plank rule before this race. It was a complete shocker. I think you probably did. But it's just a big disappointment. They have Hamilton. And he's having a solid solid couple of races. He, He drove really well. Like the uh, uh, Mercedes strategy and him driving, he was very close to Max Verstappen. And maybe another, if there were 10 laps added, maybe Hamilton would have caught up. Or maybe if Hamilton pitted maybe three laps earlier, he could have gotten him. Sure. But otherwise, disqualification, big news. But something else about, uh, about that, a big part of the entire race... Uh, this weekend was the strategy of teams. I think you would know a lot about lot more about that than I do. Alright, firstly, strategy-wise, Kota was bloody brilliant. We had everyone doing different different things. We had some people trying, some people bailing from their trying, and I loved watching it because of just the mixes and strategy. So I think we can definitely and unsurprisingly say the worst strategy goes to Ferrari and Charles Leclerc and trying out a one-stop. It, I mean, there was a place where we thought it could work out, but then 
I always had to look at Charles's lap times compared to the ones around. And there was a time when he was losing three, four seconds a lap. And when I saw those three, four seconds a lap, I'm like, yeah, there's no way in hell the one stop is working. And especially, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard about this, but then before the race, Charles and Gasly had actually spoken and Charles asked Pierre if he's going for a one stop. And Pierre, and Pierre was like, F no, I'm not doing a one stop. But I feel like maybe the best strategy would either go to yeah would probably be red bulls because along with their beautiful strategy they had the pace to keep up and i feel like mercedes definitely could have won the the win was on their hands and although they didn't have a terrible strategy their strategy did lose them the win i believe because if they had first in the first stint pit hamilton a couple of laps early and managed to keep the track position ahead of verstappen I definitely think Hamilton could have fought for the win much more than he did now. And I definitely think Hamilton would have been able to win because he had pace and Hamilton in these past couples of races, he has been looking very racy. Then after yeah, that, Lando and- Norris was on similar strategy as Verstappen, except Lando Norris just didn't have enough pace. I was kind of surprised to see that the McLaren didn't do that well. Obviously, Oscar Piastri, he retired. And although Lando did get a podium, which is extremely impressive... It was a bit shocking just to see of how normally Norris is up there. He's in the fight and he's looking ahead. But this time it was more of him just looking behind and making sure he doesn't drop back too far. Because there was a point in the end of the race where Sainz was going to come in. That's true. And Sainz did end up with the podium due to disqualification. So overall, it was a good weekend in terms of like technicalities in my opinion. Because of the strategy and disqualifications obviously rolled in the, rolled in the dark. But it was an exciting race weekend, but not nearly as exciting as the recent race weekend in Mexico City. And before we talk about that, I would just, as we did last time with Lance Stroll, let's talk about the talk of town, home hero of Mexico City, Sergio Perez. Not much of a hero anymore. Not much of a hero anymore. Mr. Sergio Perez, what can I say? So, let's start with qualifying. He got a pretty low position for the car, but obviously Verstappen didn't get pole. He didn't even get front row. Okay, fine. So, maybe I guess you can spare Perez. The pace was not there. He did get out-qualified by Daniel Ricciardo, but we'll talk about that later. But, okay, fine. Maybe the pace was not there. And then you come to race day you go five red lights are out and he's right up there. It's three wide between Max, Perez and Charles going into turn one. We're expecting something intense. Really, I thought Perez would do some madness. He'd have the Mexican fans just cheering him on and he'd have all the confidence in the world and he'll make this crazy round the outside move on the both of them and run away with the race. But um, the race ran away from him. <laughs> And it's not like you can blame Charles. It was completely his fault. And I am a Charles fan and I do have the Charles bias. But I think anyone who knows how to judge F1 would look at them and be like, yes, it's Sergio Perez. He turned in directly into Charles and Charles couldn't go anymore on the inside. Otherwise, he'd be taken out by Max Verstappen. And that, that would be his fault, which is why he didn't go to the inside. But Sergio Perez, he just turned into Charles Leclerc. He got his side pot done and he got out of the race. I will be disappointing Perez. I've been very quick to criticize Perez a lot of the time, which also disappointed a lot of the audience. 
But I'll be completely honest. I feel badass, man. I don't think... Uh, I looked at like, the perspective of the card. I don't think he knew that it was a three-wide gap. I feel like he thought that it was just him and Leclerc because Leclerc had cut off um, Max Verstappen, which would have been plausible considering the fact that, that both the Red Bulls got a really good start. But maybe Perez didn't see the amazing start uh, that uh, didn't see the amazing start that Verstappen got, and he would have assumed that it's just him and uh, and Charles Leclerc. And if he's on his home race, he's getting cheered on. He has the confidence. So I wouldn't completely blame it on him. He may have not seen, uh, may have not seen that it was three wide, and would have looked at it as a moderately risky uh, overtake, and. He just got unlucky, in my opinion. In my opinion, I definitely think that he knew it was three wide. I mean, he was starting the row behind, so he would have definitely been able to see the start that Verstappen got. And even if he didn't know it was three wide, then that's his fault on awareness. He wasn't aware enough of what was happening with the cars around him, and that's definitely his fault. This is Perez. He, it was his home. He was meant to shine bright. The home hero wasn't really a hero. It was disappointing from Perez, and I can't find a way to defend him. I'm trying, but I really can't because maybe you can say the he didn't know, but if he didn't know, that's a lack of his awareness. He didn't know Max was there; that he's not aware enough of what's happening on the track around him. But how do you know? It's not in your. It's not in your view. And by the look of it, if signs and uh, yeah, but then at the start of the race, you the Red Bulls had you would a good start, that they and get Perez the started floor. behind and in, yeah, in terms of the launch, both the Red Bulls had a flawless launch, like through, and they were the fastest on the, until the corner. But the thing is, Perez, when he was overtaking, I genuinely don't think he could have known that it was three wide. And Charles, I'm not going to say that he broke late, but it was just unfortunate for Perez. That's all I'm saying. And this is all a right, one time. So I just, all right, so I have just looked. At the race start, I just, I literally on my phone just pulled up the race highlights and I just looked at the race start. And Perez was actually towing off the slipstream of Charles and of Charles and Max being side by side before joining Charles on the left. So he definitely, definitely knew there was three wide happening there. And you can't say Charles break late. If anything, he break the earliest and was probably the safest there because. Verstappen and Perez were both had their side pods alongside Charles's front tires, which it's definitely Perez's no, fault. If, there. There, there, if you're on the slipstream of a car, if you're on the slipstream of a car, you don't. Okay, so he's in the slipstream. The moment he goes outside, he would have expected that Charles Leclerc got a better push off and would have been first into the corner. And I feel that's what happened to Perez. And I'm not going to blame the guy for this one. That's all I'm saying. Wait, Daksh, it was Charles and Max side by side and behind the both of them was Perez. And then Perez pulled out on Charles' yeah, but, left. But Charles had, Charles had the outside line on Verstappen. If Perez would have expected that he would have gone through him. And that's why Perez thought it was a good move. How would he have? Because Charles and Verstappen, none of them had slipstream ahead of him. Just have a look. Uh, I've sent you an image at the race start. And just have That's a look it. at it. I think you'll understand what I'm trying to say here. You can't defend Paris for this. It was all his fault. 
That's fair. Either way, it's just it's either way, even if even if you completely take out the Mexican Grand Prix, his entire performance this weekend was devastating. And I'm gonna revisit the topic of Daniel Ricardo. Let's be honest, Daniel Ricardo was is the main contender for the second spot at Red Bull. And the fact that in an Alpha Tauri, arguably the slowest car, they were pretty fast on this weekend. But arguably the slowest yeah, car. Yeah, Alpha Tauri was in, surprisingly quick. So uh, the slowest car in the entire grid was uh, had outqualified outqualified Paris. And yeah, Daniel Ricciardo had a flying lap. Outqualified uh, Hamilton, uh, uh, Russell, a lot of drivers. But either way, the fact that he outqualified him and did so well in the race compared to Perez, is going to draw eyes to the rivalry between the two. And I feel this solidifies Daniel's place as the second Red Bull driver. But I don't know who's going to get the second spot for Alpha Tauri. To be completely honest, I was mad impressed by Daniel Ricciardo this weekend, this entire weekend, his qualifying and his race performance as well. He was up there with the top pack. Like, I have a track map pulled up and... There's always this big gap from the top pack and the rest of the field. And Daniel Ricciardo was right up there with the top pack. And he had then his own, after and that. At the end, he was about to overtake even George Russell. The entire race, Daniel Ricciardo held his own, if anything. It was never where he was towing off someone or someone was or he was holding up someone. He was right up there. He had the pace in an Alpha Tauri, which was last for a lot of the season. So that is extremely impressive. And not only the fact that, but he broke his hand and he came back in his second race back and everything. And it sounds insane, but we have seen the low that Ricardo can go to in his career. And although this does seem like the Ricardo of the old, I have the question of whether Ricardo of the old has returned for good or he's just here as a show up. Because he did a show up in McLaren as well. He won the Italian Grand Prix. Everyone was like, Ricardo of the old has returned. Did he? No, he didn't. I love Daniel Ricciardo and I hope and I pray this is not a one-off and the old Ricciardo has returned. But there is the, still the question you need to ask of is this a one-off or is this the old Ricciardo coming back for good? I think we're going to find out in Sao Paulo, Paulo and then after that, uh, the Las Vegas because Daniel Ricciardo, I think he was the one who's been pushing for the Las Vegas Grand Prix for many years. And I feel that's like a solid... Uh, like it's just a solid like idea. If he does well in a uh, in a racetrack that he's all too familiar with, if he gets even a top top eight or top ten finish, I feel that he's going to solidify his space as a second driver in Red Bull. Uh, you know what I'm gonna say? I'm gonna call this right now. This is like about three weeks before. If Daniel. Ricardo is back in form and if Alpha Tauri have enough pace or the similar pace that they had this weekend in Las Vegas a Daniel Ricardo top five finish and most probably a podium I'm gonna call it right now but under the circumstances is if the old Not Daniel Ricardo is back and if the Alpha Tauri have similar pace as they did this weekend the Alpha Tauri I'm calling it Daniel Ricardo there's physically no chance that Daniel Ricardo gets uh, that Daniel Ricardo gets a uh, a podium. There's no way. Just the fact that he's an Alpha Tauri. It's not about his skill. It's just Alpha Tauri. Their best 
is still the is still the sixth or seventh best constructor. If the Daniel Ricciardo of old is back, if see if the Daniel Ricciardo of old is back, Las Vegas, a completely new track, no one will have data, so then that will equalize the playing field quite a bit. And depends which car can get a lot of data. And Ricciardo, he's pretty experienced; he can get a lot of data quickly. That's an so, interesting take. That's an interesting take. I'm just saying. I'm calling it right now. If there is a podium, I've called it. Wait, is uh, Las Vegas a sprint weekend? Uh, I don't think so. Ooh. I don't believe so. I wish it was. Just for the pure reason that there's going to... Everyone's going to have like a very little bit of data going into the race. Yeah. Oh, but there's a... Oh, I, I'm such an idiot. There's also free practice. The practices are going to be very yeah, then, special, then. Very special. Yeah. Just watching them and go on the last the topic, Vegas trip and everything. Ah. Uh, Have you well, tried playing the, the last Vegas game on the F1 game? <laughs> How is it? It is a painful track, I'll say that. You know, we're, 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 we're diverting too much. We're going all the way weeks ahead. We'll talk about Las Vegas when Las Vegas comes to us. All right, continue, Daksh. Okay, so since we're on the topic of Alpha Tauri, Yuki Tsunoda had a brilliant race. Like, he had that one collision with, uh, who, I think it was either Lando, it was Oscar Priastri. Other than that, if it wasn't for that, he would have been right there with uh, with Daniel Ricciardo. But he, he, he yeah, he was really having... Well. He was having a brilliant race. Yuki Tsunoda was doing really well. He had really good pace. He was making some ex- extremely good overtakes. And I did like watching Oscar and Tsunoda fight. And I thought it was getting a bit hairy between them. And well, we cl- clearly saw what happened. Uh, that was, again, Yuki Tsunoda's fault. It was really similar with the entire uh, Russell, I mean, not Russell, Perez and Charles crash. Yuki Tsunoda turned in. And I mean, say bye. He's young. He's a young chap. He's a hot-headed chap for sure. So mistakes are expected, but I'm sure Yuki Tsunoda, he can fine-tune them out. But definitely a really impressive race for Tsunoda. As eyes were not only on Ricardo, but Tsunoda also showed. Even though he started there, he was able to bring it up in the race until Oscar said no. <laughs> but Tsunoda, I'm... along with Ricardo, like the Alpha Tauris in general, really good race today. Or yesterday. And one guy... I can't believe we haven't talked about him yet. The best driver of the, of the entire race. Such a brilliant driver, Lando Norris. He impressed every single person. Oh my God. And just, uh, if you were listening to the commentary on the race, the commentators just went on and on about Lando Norris when he was up in 15, 14, 13. And the way he just moved up the ranks. And he had the worst luck. Not luck. He had a bad moment at the worst time. He had a lockup at the start of the second half of the race after the red flag. But his brilliance as a driver got him um, like past Russell. And that was just such a good race on the side of Lando Norris. The fact that he got through so many drivers was absolutely insane. At the first start before uh, the red flag, Lando Norris... He- like, I saw he pitted early and I'm like, oh, he's probably going for an undercut. And he had so much pace that he caught up to the drivers before they pitted. But he wasn't, like, making... I'm not going to say he wasn't making big moves because he was, but compared to the second half of the race, which I'll talk about soon, 
it wasn't that good. And then, you know, the red flag happened, started with the safety car, not a spit for some reason, even though the red flag was expected. Lost a couple of positions there. The race started. He was on mediums. Everyone was not sure if he's going to make it to the end. He had a terrible start. But then the way he pulled it back, he climbed position after position, lap after lap, overtake after overtake. And he made some brilliant overtakes. And the pace Norris had, like there was a point in the last couple of laps where the fastest driver in the top eight was Lando Norris. And he was closing ev- closing into everyone really quickly. And his overtake on George Russell, it was brilliant. Like I remember at about the last five laps, I was like, oh, no one's going to be uh, overtaking. So I'm going to go to sleep now because it was about 3.30 a.m. over here. So I'm like, all right, I'll go to sleep. And then I just go and I just check my phone and I see Norris is closing in like a second to Russell. And I see Norris is right behind Russell. I just open my phone and I just see him make that overtake. And I'm like, wow, that's brilliant. Lando Norris, what a recovery drive. I think if he didn't get screwed over by Fernando Alonso in qualifying, Maybe he could have been in the race for a lead simply because of how strong his pace was. It was insanely good. Completely agree. Yeah. But one thing I, w- I thought we could start in this episode, just the best driver to- of the week, including sprint weekend, uh, including everything, whenever it happens, qualifying, sprint, and the race, uh, whatever weekend it is, I would say it has to go to Lando Norris. And biggest disappointment, Obviously, Sergio Perez. Yeah, biggest disappointment, easily Sergio Perez. But then if you're saying overall weekend, I would probably give it to Daniel Ricciardo. Simply because we know that McLaren is capable and Lando did make a mistake in his qualifying lap. So a mistake was made there. And although it's just one mistake, Ricciardo didn't make any. And Ricciardo in that Alpha Tauri was up there, which is shocking. Because we know that now McLaren have pace to be up there. But we did not know that Alpha Tauri had that pace or Ricardo at all. So that's why I'm going to give my driver of the weekend to Daniel Ricardo. I agree with that. But best driver of the race is definitely Lando Norris. For sure. Oh, Just yeah. Because Lando Norris's pace, his race craft, it was unmatched. Unmatched out there. Maybe the, maybe the driver who could have matched was Lewis Hamilton. He had a really strong race. And he kept those mediums really well. Like... When I saw Hamilton overtake Charles, <clears throat> I was like, oh, it's fine because the mediums are going to wear out. Charles will get him back by the end of the race. I had no problem. And I was convinced Hamilton was going to make another stop, but he didn't. He made those tires last and he had really good pace against Charles. He was opening the gap to Charles and sometimes they'd be swapping gaps, but then he just kept it there ahead on medium tires. I expected Charles to overtake him on the hards throughout the end of the race, but it didn't happen. Really good from Lewis. He had good pace and he also had some really good race craft, especially since that Ferrari is really fast in the straight line compared to the Mercedes. And the only overtaking place being a long straight, really good for, really good drive from Hamilton. I think if they give him a car that can challenge Max, I think we could have seen a great race on our hands. But Max, he's in another dimension. Like He is so good that we don't even know if he was pushing or not. So... I feel like Hamilton maybe might might be able to challenge Max if he's given the right car. And there's one thing since we're on the topic of Mercedes. I, as much as I would like, love to say as a Mercedes fan, that strategy was really calculated well. It was a massive risk that they took. It was a really big risk. 
And to an extent, I feel that they got lucky. And maybe the calculator... Everyone who start on the mediums... Yeah? Everyone who's taught on the mediums after the red flag took a massive risk and that risk worked out for them. Like, I completely understand why Red Bull and Ferrari didn't go on the mediums because it just doesn't seem rational enough, but they really made it work and it's impressive. Now, whether it was lucky, whether it was track conditions, who knows? In the end, they got the advantage. Well, we didn't. That's just how it is. I feel it was lucky, but one thing, a lot, lot of people are talking about this. At the time when the hard tires hadn't completely fired up and the mediums were really strong, I, it was either uh, Charles Leclerc or uh, Sainz who defended against Hamilton for quite a while. And that was a really solid defense. Like he was within the DRS zone for about five, six laps. And that was really good defense. And the fact that he was on the mediums faster car. This just that moment when uh, both uh, when uh, Russell was going after Sainz and Hamilton was going after Charles, that was a scary moment. Considering the fact that they were wrecking their tires, I was like calculating the amount of time that they would have to recover and, and save up every lap <laughs> just so that they would manage to keep second. That was interesting. More than more than their tires that scared me was the was the extent that they went to cool down their engine, they kept pulling out of the slipstream Mercedes the entire race, even the McLaren sometimes, which lead me to believe that the Mercedes engine might have not loved this condition because it seemed to be overheating. Like, even in the red flag, when the red flag restarted, two laps in and Hamilton was pulling out of the slipstream. I was really confused because you need to pull out in the slipstream when either you need when you need to cool your engine. Considering Hamilton had to cool it that early on, I thought we might have seen one of the Mercedes engines DNF, but they all made it through. But I think this should definitely raise an alert to Mercedes to at least have them check it out of why such precautions were made were meant to be taken, just just as a safety measure. And that time when you spoke about there was the Charles versus Hamilton, and there was the Russell versus Sainz, that moment was bloody brilliant. For sure, for sure, and. Just one thing that's absolutely just crazy. The fact that Hamilton is catching up to Sergio Perez. And there's not a good look in Perez. But I want to ask you, what are your predictions? Do you think Hamilton might... I think there are three races left. Three or four. Three. Three races and two sprints. So, what do you think? Do you think that Hamilton has it in him? 20 points behind Perez. What are your thoughts? All right, now, after Kota, after this disqualifications, I'm like, oh, Perez has definitely ran away with the championship. But now I definitely feel like it's on. And if Hamilton can keep his pace up and if Perez keeps doing what he's doing, then I think it's going to be a no-brainer. Hamilton's going to get P2 in the championship, which if you think about it from the start of the season, it's insane. Hamilton this year, he he is a really good driver, but then like, he just, everyone thinks Hamilton is washed when I feel like this is a showcase that Hamilton hasn't been washed and he still has it in him, especially the second half of the season when all the cars are able to slightly catch up to Red Bull. Perez is just being chomped up. Perez is being chomped up right For now. Sure. And if it keeps going like this, then Hamilton will definitely get it. But I definitely feel like Perez, if he tries pulling his socks a bit, I think he can hold off P2. 
in the championship, but there are four race, no, three races left, 20 points. It's not impossible, not impossible at all. For sure. I think it's going to be interesting. And this should be a battle. Like, the one thing I'm hoping for is a final race, is some sort of competition between the two. And for that, Hamilton needs to perform. With the two sprint weekends, two sprint races, and three races, so there's a lot of points to be gained. A lot of points to be gained. There are a lot of points up for grabs. And a lot of as, points to be grabbed. As much as Christian Horner is saying that uh, that the second Red Bull seat is not contingent on Perez keeping his second uh, his second place, that's absolute bullshit. If Perez manages to lose his second place, bullshit. If Perez manages to lose second place, there's no way. No way that he's being kept. Absolutely no way. And no way he's being kept. No way he should be kept. If Perez loses that second place, he should be kicked out. And I don't know why Logan Sargent would perform better. If yeah. it would be terrible if Perez loses second place, and I think I think already, um, his seat might is gone. Like I don't know who who they're gonna put back there, but I'm pretty sure they'll they're in the case where like we just don't want Perez. That's true, for sure. And one thing, just. Just side note, claps for, uh, what's his name, Logan Sargent, first points in F1, first American driver in 30 years to get points. That's good. <laughs> it's good. Uh, but, but, freedom. Freedom another, for Formula One. <laughs> another battle. Mercedes, Mercedes versus Ferrari. Do you think that Ferrari has a chance? 22 points behind. Oh. Now, it depends if things keep going the way they're going. I think I think Ferrari might be able to get them because Russell is not performing on the levels of Hamilton. Russell is performing below the Ferraris, but Hamilton is performing above the Ferraris. So there is a big thing there. But in the cases where like this Mexican Grand Prix, I'm pretty sure Ferrari might have gotten more points than Mercedes. But in the case of United States, I'm pretty sure Mercedes probably pulled more points of Ferrari. They're constantly punching shots. And I feel like with this case, the gap will close. But I feel like Ferrari will end really close to Mercedes. They won't overtake them, but really close. And since we're on the topic of of Russell's poor performance, next race is Sao Paulo. And for those who don't know, uh, this is the first and only Russell win happened here in Brazil. And that was brilliant race. Like the Hamilton-Russell battle, that was the peak of Mercedes in the last two years. That was a brilliant race. And yeah, I, there's a part of me that believes that there's going to be a 2-3 battle between both of them again. And I want it to happen so bad. Because if that happens, I'm going to go. I'm praying for it. I'm praying for it because in these past few races, well, mainly after Singapore, Russell just hasn't been up there. Like he's still been giving performances, but those performances were more on the enough side. It's not wow, it's not amazing. Those performances have been enough. Now, Sao Paulo, we know he's strong in this track because he won the race. I I really want him to come back and fight because I know Russell is capable. I know Russell is a brilliant driver. I've been watching him since F2. He's brilliant. He's capable, and I definitely think he can fight in Sao Paulo. If not, then I think we might need to check up on Russell. That's true. 
And I just realized this. Uh, Carlos Sainz and Fernando Alonso are now tied in the Drivers' Championship, which is interesting. Actually, really interesting. Considering, I mean, it was given that, that Sainz is eventually going to overtake Alonso. But this is actually pretty solid by uh, Sainz, considering that their start of the season was not the best. And Fernando Alonso's start of the season was absolutely brilliant. So that's interesting. That's interesting. But when it comes to this, I really wouldn't call it a battle. I'd call it more of an easy overtake because the Alonso hype train has died down. Where's Fernando Alonso? He he got overtaken by Lance Stroll. What sad. the hell happened to Alonso this weekend? That was sad. But I have no idea. And he himself said, uh, he himself said his team as Martin has nothing to prove in the remaining. He is just the car. Their upgrades, their supposed upgrades haven't done anything. And they went from the second fastest on the grid, competing for podium, consistently getting podiums at the start of the season. I think they're now below McLaren. I think they're fifth in terms of like speed of cars. Yeah, fifth. Yeah. Maybe even sixth. This weekend, they were definitely not fifth. They, 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 they were somewhere to the end. Alonso not being able to perform, like he made mistakes in qualifying. He had that spin in qualifying that cost so many drivers. And in the race, his pace was just not there to the point where he just gave up and retired. I must say, it was very concerning, but I'm going to take this as a one-off weekend from Fernando simply because of how good he's been this season. I definitely don't think Fernando's washed. I think he's still there. I just think this weekend was a one-off and he'll definitely be back next time. And something I celebrated, like I swear I celebrated for like 20 minutes straight. Finally, Lance Stroll is not in the top 10. Finally, Lance Stroll is not in the top 10 of driver's standings, which I'm genuinely happy about. Most undeserving driver in the grid. I mean, with the way the Aston Martin is now, it's inevitable. You put a bad driver, you put a bad car, you're, you're not going to get anywhere near the top 10. I think Stroll is just looking behind him in the championship now. It's pretty much over for them. In that case, even Alonso. It's over for them. The Alonso hype train has died down. It has just gone missing. So, and, well, that's unfortunate. So, since we're nearing the end of the episode, Predictions for Sao Paulo. Final predictions. Top five. Okay, predictions for Sao Paulo. Sprint and uh, actual race. All right, so for the sprint race of Sao Paulo, I'm going to give the sprint win to George Russell. Okay. I'm going to give second place in sprint to Max Verstappen. And the third place to Charles Leclerc. That's interesting. I was thinking Hamilton, but I feel like Charles will be third in the sprint. But the race, uh, the win is going to go to Max Verstappen. The second place will be George Russell. And the third place will be Lewis Hamilton. I don't know. I just feel like Mercedes are going to perform really well this time. I like that. And we know Hamilton and Russell, they both love. They both love Sao Paulo. Hamilton might have had... One of the greatest drives in Formula One ever in South. And Paulo. Russell has a lot to prove, like a lot to prove. So a weekend like that is exactly what he needs. For me, 
I definitely think I definitely think Mercedes will perform well. I think McLaren might also no, be up there, and I think Ferrari would struggle. So. Just uh, we know Charles, Charles pulls out from mad qualifyings. McLaren uh, is very contrary. Uh, in ter- comparing to comparing to like the other cars, they're really fast. They've got a really good solid car right now with the new upgrades. But in Sao Paulo, the one thing that everyone's noticed is that like the overtaking, the grip on the corners. I feel like uh, the Ferrari and obviously the Red Bull, the Ferrari, the Red Bull, and the Mercedes are going to be a lot more suited for the for the track. And that's why I believe that uh, that the McLarens are going to be competing with Sergio Perez. So that's going to be the area. No, actually, actually, these are my official predictions for the sprint race. First place is going to go to Max Verstappen. Second place is going to go to George Russell. And third place is going to go to Sergio Perez. I just feel like he has a lot to prove. And he's going to take oh. a very risky race. And his risk, uh, he's going to get lucky and get to the front. So that's a pretty solid prediction. And for the race, Sergio is going to come like seventh or something. But the top is going to be Master Stappen, George Russell, Hamilton, and then the two Ferraris. And then Perez, and then uh, the McLarens. Hmm. So we have similar race podiums. Pretty much. Pretty much. It's going to be interesting. But I've, I've never been Sao more excited Paulo, weekend. Yeah, Sao, yeah. Sao Paulo has barely been disappointing. I don't think it'll disappoint again. Yeah, and sure. I'm expecting a really good race from Sao Paulo. Sure. I'm expecting a really good race. I'm expecting some good things from Hamilton. And some good things. From, I'm expecting good things from Mercedes. They have Hamilton. They have Russell. They both love Sao Paulo. Mercedes, they they, they also love Sao Paulo. I, I think it's going to be a good weekend for Mercedes. But is anything going to stop Max Verstappen? I don't think so. Honestly, I don't think so. That is a question that I feel like can only be answered in next season. In the next season. Next season is going to be interesting. And we'll talk about that only. later because we've pretty much run out of time. This is a fun episode. This is a fun episode. Yeah, definitely. And Sao Paulo, hyped up. I'm, I'm hyped up. You got me hyped up for Sao Paulo, It's going to be the best, the best you weekend. You have got me hyped up. It's going to be a crazy weekend. And we will upload our next episode next Monday. Uh, episodes every, mostly. Most Mondays, uh, 10 p.m. IST, 4 p.m. GST. And follow our uh, follow our Spotify, follow our Instagram, and we hope you enjoyed. So until next week, this has been Pitlane Chatter. Thank you for watching.